0: Well, uh, you could continue your fellowship uh, afterwards. Uh, probably because we have a lot to go through this morning. Um, I want to. I want to pray for us this morning because uh, <laughs> I think when we talked about doing this this message this morning. I have more emails this week praying for you, praying for you, you know, <laughs> praying for you. Uh, no rocks were thrown in the first service, so thank you, Lord. Um, Hey, let's, uh, if you don't have a Bible this morning, will you raise your hand? Uh, let's get some Bible elves in the Christmas spirit. Sorry, I just called you an elf that you just got up. Sorry. This is fun. Uh, yeah, if raise your hand high. We need a Bible uh, in our hands. There's some up, up front here we need. Just keep your hands up. There you go. Um, we asked a question last week. Before I pray, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just remind you what we did last week. Last week we asked a question. Uh, I asked you a question and I said, what is the highest authority in your life? And what is the implications if that highest authority is in Scripture? In other words, here at Community Church, uh, we said the highest of authorities where we go to for life's directions, for understanding this world, for understanding how we're wired, for understanding where we're to live and how we're to live, We seek the highest authority, and that's Scripture. That's the Holy Bible. Many people today, surveys say, look to friends and family based uh, on what they hear to establish their truth or what they believe. We call that relativism. That means people just begin to pick and choose what they want to believe. So this morning, I want to establish, because we're going to go right back to this highest authority... The scripture, And I know we had to do last week because every week that we're teaching here, we go to this authority. And so I'm going to pray right now for just this morning as God opens up our minds. Father in heaven, will you first forgive myself and others in this room uh, that have claimed that we know truth or that we have figured you out? God, I pray that as your spirit does, will you open up our minds, will you teach us more about what it means to follow Jesus. Father, many in this room are living lives opposite of what you've called them to live. And yet, Lord, we know that if we were to measure uh, if people got in whether they were sinning or not, Lord, this would be an empty room. And so, Father, Lord, we all sit here this morning recognizing our sin. And I pray that you help us unpack even more why we do this and what's our hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we did, we asked that question, and really we said it's the Bible, the highest authority. I want to ask you a different question this morning. What's the highest goal in your life? What's the highest goal? priority in your list daily i'm not not talking about just the to do's to get to done but what what is it that drives you in your life to get out of bed what's driving you let me ask this question what's at stake if your highest goal is not a relationship with jesus christ what's at stake The reality is today, if our highest priority or authority isn't the Scriptures, we know we have relativism. If our highest goal is not to follow Jesus, once again we find ourselves then in an impasse, in a dialogue. We can't have a dialogue, we can't have a dialogue or a conversation with people who don't have that as their highest goal. As we gather here at Community Church every week, our hope is that your highest priority becomes following Jesus Christ. We're, We're not here to change your behavior. We're not here to fix you. Our hope is that we introduce the love of Jesus Christ to you and that it becomes the highest priority in your life. Because of that, if it's the highest priority in your life, we seek the highest authority on how to do this on what that looks like to follow Jesus. And we seek the Scripture. And this is why the Bible is so important to us. And this morning, I think it's important for us to establish that this is our highest goal as a church body. And for many of us that attend here, our highest goal is that we seek to follow Jesus Christ and know what it means to live this life in this earth. Now, the word repent is a word that I want to get you familiar with this morning. And I want you to, we've we've used this word many times. It's, It's popular by John the Baptist and many writers in the Scriptures. But the word tended to have an implication in our culture today. And when we say repent, it means to turn 180. It means to leave something and move in a different direction. Most have associated that with behavior. But as you unpack that word, repent, in the Greek... It actually means more specifically to change your mind, to to change how you think. If this morning you were to find yourself in a grocery store and you were shopping and you saw someone that was not from our country, someone that was a foreigner and was, I don't know if they were visiting or finding their new residency here, but they were a foreigner and they were filling their, their shopping cart just full, like near overflowing, and as you were checking out, you notice that they walk right by as they're rolling their, their shopping cart full, walked right by the cash register and walk right out the door. Well, immediately you have a couple options, right? You can do what a lot of our culture does. I saw nothing. I don't know what happened, right? But you'd want to react. Why? Because you know that there is a moral value. There is a moral value Uh, part of, of what you're starting to experience. There's some immorality there, right? There is this idea that you're stealing. Now, there's two parties involved, and so let's say you just take the high road and you run out there. You have really one of two responses, right? Well, maybe three. You run straight to your car and leave. That could be one. We're not thinking about that one. One would be is you show up and you immediately get the police and everybody, and you like dive and just tackle the person, right? Because they're stealing groceries. Another, another reaction, though, might be, is that you might, excuse me, um, do you know that you walked by the cash register? Do you know that in this country we have a value of paying for items, Right? And you try to make them aware, right? Those are one of your two options. There's one of two options that they have, too, don't they? They have the option, first of all, to listen to you and say, well, oh my gosh, thank you. You know, in our country, we get groceries for free. You know, just, I don't know where that would be, but <laughs> we just get to take them as we need them, right? We, we get them for free, and thank you so much I didn't know. You've changed the way I think and understand something. Another reaction would be is (laughs) they would keep running. They would run to their car, you know? Or they would punch you or they they would scream at you like saying, who are you? That illustration, I think, is a really interesting one to look at as we deal with the issue of sexual identity, homosexuality, or for that matter, any sin in Scripture. Because we have a couple options, don't we? And I think the church needs to own up to its, its own sin of rushing out of the store and pointing fingers at people to change behavior when, friends, no person knows Jesus through behavior modification. No person finds their way at the feet of Christ because they fixed behavior in their life. They find Jesus because they have a revelation that God brings to them to expose who they are and who he is, and that changes their behavior. So as a church, we have, I think, first a confession of how many times we've pointed the finger at people that are stealing groceries. You fill in whatever that is, that aren't like you, how immoral are they? I think the other part of the reality is we need to recognize that was all of us. Amen. Every one of us have been ones that had a bag of groceries and ran out of the store. Now we also need to confess that culture, and as has never, it's never been any different, but throughout time there is resistance to truth, right? There is resistance to that, and so there are people that will live very aggressively or arrogantly against morality. And so there will be those that will say, how dare you, they'll run to their car, they'll try to, they'll try to take you down, and they live in opposition, in an arrogant opposition to truth. There are those people. And so the dialogue this morning about sexuality, sexual identity, homosexuality, becomes so focused on the one thing, and really, this is a bigger picture about how do we deal with that? How do we deal with tough issues of how to live in this, in this world? And I think it's good for us to understand that all of us have pushed the grocery be- you know the grocery cart at some point. All of us had to be made aware of our own shortcomings. And this is the beauty of what it means to be knowing Christ. And so this morning, my prayer is that there is a 180. Not necessarily of behavior first, but of your mind. That minds are changed. And so friends, there is a longing that anybody that walks in the door, that we welcome them because we want a change of mind. And, and we'll get into more about those who arrogantly or, or uh, in a prideful way disobey the ways of God. But God's called us first and foremost to change the way we think. And that's what we want to dive in this morning. Tozer said it this way, a true follower of Christ will not ask, if I embrace this truth, what will it cost me? If someone you know, is going to say, what does it mean to come to Christ? and I need to like kind of weigh out the cost benefit here of, of doing this. Rather, they will say, this is truth. God, help me to walk in it. Let come what may. In other words, if you're a Christ follower this morning, and that's your highest priority, then you seek the highest authority, and that's God's Word. No matter what it says, you make the application. Because your highest goal is to follow Him. This is an important establishing this morning because, again, the tendency in culture is to distort truth. Friends, sin wants to justify itself, right? How many of your kids have to learn this from you, right? They get it. They're born into sin and immediately is, it's what? And there's a justification and we do it as adults and we do it as culture. And it's not shocking or should not be shocking about our media culture, our politics, our government, our world seeks to what? Justify itself. I want to give you a picture this morning though of what does it look like to follow Jesus? Jesus? In order to know what it means to follow Jesus and why are we following Jesus, I think we have to get to some deeper issues, and that starts all the way in the garden. And so those of you who are younger this morning, um, it's, it's definitely PG. Um, I, won't, I, won't, I won't go crazy. You won't have to dismiss anybody, I promise. But I think we could probably blush, wouldn't we, if we were to truly read the Scriptures and what it means about our sexuality, Now, we go all the way back to a better picture, is the ultimate picture of what God intended for creation. And when he first created, it says in Genesis, I know that's small, 127 through 28, it says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, I'm not even joking this morning, and I know that this tends to be where Christians can be very cruel and ruthless in how they talk about this issue. But if we look at the creation narrative, that means the story between Genesis 1 and 2 of God creating the heavens and earth and man and woman, we, we all agree that God inspired writers and wrote what He chose to reveal to us. And if we question the reality of sexuality, we need to go back to the beginning of what it looks like. And what we don't see are two men. What we don't see are two women. We don't see a blend. We don't see multiple partners. We don't see one man with 16 wives. Right? We don't see this picture in the narrative. And if you're a person this morning that's challenging the perspective of Scripture, then you probably have to cut out 1 and 2. Genesis 1 and 2. Because it doesn't make sense then. And so we get a picture very quickly that God says, I want to create man and woman. Male and female. There is a Uh, physiological difference. There is physiology that makes us different. Our biology, we're different, man and woman. And God does that and he says, God blesses them and says to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Now, can I just make a clarification, a real deep observation. There were no adoption agencies. Basically, to multiply means to have sex, right? No one wants to agree with me on this. This is what it says. It means to be connected this way sexually. And so we get this picture of God creating man and woman, and we get this mandate to do that. And the Scriptures are full of this idea of our sexuality. It says, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. We see this again, and this is the bigger version of that. So God asks us to do something. He's called us uh, to be connected, to reconnected with this opposite sex in this covenant relationship. And I want to deal with that. But I want to first go into what is it makes us male or female? I mean, is it simply just our biology? Is it simply just parts? Because today we have a world that just thinks that they can choose, even though being born a certain way. So Lady Gaga makes this you know, huge song, we're born that way. Well, you're going to see in a minute, I'm going to agree with her. Yeah, absolutely. We are born that way. But what she doesn't get is what's the intent in the beginning? Because God created us a certain way. As she says in the lyrics of song, he made us perfect. Yes, in one and two he did. And what was perfect was, is we get this picture of male. Male uh, in the Hebrew means to remember, to recall, or call to mind. In other words, you have been born physically either male or female. Now again, there's a different ethical conversation and we're going to talk about it in a minute about if you've been born physically with both parts, with all the physical parts of male and female. I'm not a doctor. From what I've read, typically they lean one way or the other. But this is a different conversation and it's in the impact and the effects of sin in our world. But it says, he created men To be masculine. So you've been born male or female, and if you've been born one of those, you then have a choice to either act male or act female. What do I mean? When the word male is used often in the Old Testament, and especially even in the New, it means to remember, to recall, to call to mind. It means one who remembers something important about themselves or about God and initiates it. What does that mean? Today, in our world, and especially here in northeast Wisconsin, one of the things I think is so damaging is there's this cultural perception that to be a man either means to drink beer, to watch football, or go hunting. Now, I'm sorry, in my Bible, maybe your version has it, nowhere is this mentioned that this makes us male or men. In other words, the scripture is calling men. To be the initiators, not the seat sitters. Do you know in today the church is more led by women than men? Why, do you know, why is that happening? Here's why. Because I think more men are taking the road of being feminine than being masculine. Now this by no means means hierarchy, but it means this. Men are sitting and not initiating humility. Men are sitting and not initiating emotional vulnerability. Men are sitting and not initiating service and servanthood. Men are sitting and not leading in their homes or in their culture or in their neighborhoods of what it means to be a man. Ephesians, Paul will say, if you love your wife, then treat her like Christ did the church. What does that mean, men? He died for the church. Men, we need to be initiating death. That means we become the servants, the ultimate picture of what it means to serve. If you want to be a man in this culture, then you get up out of your chair and you don't claim some sort of testosterone sit and grunt and let everybody serve you that we see in movies, right? Tough guy the greatest picture of masculinity as we have is the one of Christ who what moves into the lives of others and calls them to remember i think one of the issues we have today in our culture is that we men have been so feminine in non-initiating forgiveness and humility and patience and and being real and honest about our own flaws and failure that Women have had to step up and be masculine. Now the picture here for women is this: is that God creates female, and in the Hebrew word, it says this word uh, means to pierce, to perforate, to bore, to a point. Obviously, there's there's physiological realities to this, and how amazingly beautiful that is. That God doesn't create by accident what we've been built and designed to do. But He says this: is that it is one who is open to receive. They're that one that that brings in. Now, again, ladies, now I know some of you are strong leaders. This does not trump your leadership. This does not say you can't lead. It's how you do it. There is something beautifully strong about a woman that waits for that to come to her. Michael Jordan used to say that, right? Remember he used to say that. He used to say, that his strength was waiting for the game to come to him. I know that's a very rude and crude, and if it's in Chicago, sorry, but it's an illustrative picture. I think that sometimes we think by waiting, it's weak. It's not. There is a beautiful picture, and it's one who is open to receive an invitational style of relating. You know, the word helper is, can be so... I, I've talked to some gals in the church that hate that word. It's like, good Lord, get me out of church. There's the helper thing again. It is not someone that does a man's bidding. The word in the Hebrew actually means someone who helps with strength. They are someone strong. David says, I thank God, my helper. There's something radically beautiful. There's something powerful when women are feminine and their strength. And it's not out of weakness and it's not that they don't have ideas and better ideas often than men, but think about that picture of man and woman. God creates the two. He doesn't create two men. He doesn't create two women. He says man and woman and you'll spend the rest of your life learning what it means to be one in these roles that you have of being masculine and feminine. I think this is an important distinction for us this morning. Doesn't lessen, I believe, the roles of women. Doesn't lessen or, or a demand that man should do certain things. What I think it gives us is a picture of how God designed us. So then sex is given to us in this covenant relationship. A covenant relationship is different than a contract. A contract, we can sign a contract, right? And if we sign a contract and you don't follow through, what? The contract is null and void. A covenant relationship is beautiful because it says this, I am committed whether you follow through or not. Friends, there are many days, I'm sure, you could ask my wife that she's chosen to love me even though she doesn't like me. You were not supposed to laugh at that. (laughs) That was not funny. There are many days that Uh, the feelings I have for my wife aren't good, and yet I've chosen to love her. Covenant relationship is what we get in the Old Testament when God makes a covenant with Abraham and says, you don't have to make the promise, I will. I'll make the promise for you and I both that I will not only fulfill the covenant, but I'll pay the price for you breaking it. And so he does this for us and that is the beautiful picture of Jesus. Marriage is to mirror this relationship and marriage is to be experienced in a covenant. It's a sacrament. It's a symbol of inward reality. In other words, our ability to have sex with one another is an expression of what's really going on in the relationship. Now I think... We, we've distorted this, and you'll see this in a minute, but it should be a place of great healing. A, a covenant relationship sexually should be one that's not withholding. It's not about, well, I won't do that unless you do this for me. You'll see in a minute, that becomes a consumer perspective of sex. But sex was given as a something to experience within a covenant relationship in marriage. But we all know the story that Adam and Eve are the father and mother of, of the original sin. And they uh, bring sin into our world. And so what happens then is there's a massive shift in sex and sexuality. A massive fracture in the perfection that God created. And the intention that he had for, for sex to be in the covenant of a marriage. Now I know this morning, just give me some grace. Grace. There are a lot of you in here that, again, I'm talking about this, this theological issue that flies not just about homosexuality, it's about committing adultery, it's about pornography, it's about lust, it's about affairs, it's about all this stuff in, in the area of our sexuality that our culture has kind of slowly boiled the frog and we're finding ourselves farther and farther away from the picture that God's intended. When sex becomes or, or outside of the garden it shifted and become more of a consumer relationship. And now it is, I'm committed to my needs. I'm no longer committed to you unconditionally. I'm committed to getting what I want. And by the way, if you don't give me what I need, and there's someone better that I can find for it, perfect. That's a consumer that is most of our culture today. Think about the shows you watch. Think about the idea of what it means. It's, it's about performance and marketing, right? Sex becomes about performance and marketing. It's what you got, right? And how you do and how are you going to give this to me? And that's most of our culture. So it shouldn't be shocking when I sit with couples and, and ask them, uh, are you living together? Yeah, and they're having sex. And so not to shame them, But it's become this cultural norm. And the problem with that is, as one of the commentaries said, is it's like the ongoing job interview. Because studies will show that the expectations a man or a woman have for marriage are significantly higher than a live-in partner. What does that mean? We're basically on these, we're just trying stuff out. We're, We're actually a slave to our own feelings. Our sexual desires become what's king most say we do that because it's the natural progression of the relationship to keep it going and i don't want to lose this feeling i have with this person what sounds like the highest goal in that picture it's not following jesus it's my needs eventually all sex outside of marriage really becomes a form of idolatry when i uh W- was um, in college and God was capturing my life and heart and I wanted to have, make sure I was saved myself sexually for marriage. I literally prayed this prayer. I said, God, please do not return until I marry and can have sex. <laughs> You're laughing at me, I'm absolutely serious. And I had to tell Trisha I actually have to confess that as a form of idolatry. Because how subtly that moves in as saying that that becomes the thing that's going to make me happy. That's the thing that I can't wait for. So friends, this happens with marriage. We think that we can't wait to that one. If you're single, that's going to ultimately fulfill me. Friends, nothing on this earth will fulfill you apart from Christ. No feeling And this is why pornography and sexual immorality runs rampant. It's why the scripture says run from it because it is powerful. Your flesh is strong. It will not take me long, my friends, because my growing up was distorted about sexuality. And so I had it on a throne of idolatry. That it does not take me long with looking at something where all of a sudden my mind, I'll lose my sense of morality. It does not take long. Sexuality is a powerful grip on people in our culture, and it's based on, "I'm going to fulfill my needs." So it should make sense to all of us, or should not surprise any of us in this room, when songs are be written and sitcoms are out, about what normalizing everything. Two dudes, no problem. That's what you, you're born that way. This is what you feel. The problem with this thinking is, if we based our, our truth, our morality, on what we feel is right and wrong and what our feelings are, how many of you would be eating desserts pretty much all day? <laughs> right. How many of you been, would be drinking so that you could forget? Because alcoholics never intended to be that, right? Drug addicts never intended to be that. It's a form of answering to a feeling that I want to fulfill. Friends, whether we feel good about our lives or not, the, still the ultimate truth is that Jesus calls us to follow him and will bring us ultimate peace. So what is lust? Because Jesus is going to throw the trump, the, the, the monkey wrench. So just when you think you're doing great, well, I haven't committed adultery, I didn't fornicate, all this. Then Jesus says, if you thought about it. And this gets into this idea of lust. What is lust? It's desire, craving, longing, a desire. It's based in greed and adultery. In other words, it's what I fantasize about. Now listen, idolatry isn't just about sexual morality, it can be about a bunch of things. How many of you have dreamed, just confession, true confessions this morning, right? We had first-timers raise their hands, so they're waiting to see how many are going to be honest. How many of you have dreamed of winning the lottery and thought of it about it way too long about what you do with the money? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You see, when it begins to be something that you fantasize about, can be marriage, can be success. I could fantasize about this role. This role could be something that's I- idolatry. I want to be popular, I want to be powerful, I want to be in charge, I want to be successful. This could be a form of idolatry. You'd realize why God hates that sin. Idolatry is putting the highest goal in your life, the one you fantasize about. Friends, if you're fantasizing about anything, it should be about how do I follow Jesus more deeply? How do I fall more in love with him? So the problem has been we've been fractured with sin, and so what changed? A couple things. First, your minds. Our minds are flawed. How we think is not perfect. You may feel like a really smart person this morning. You may have graduated from the best schools. Scripture says that because of sin, you have been born into a sinful nature. A sinful way to think your body and flesh are inherently sinful. And you have a broken relationship with the perfect creator, the Father. You are flawed. You were born that way. And that means if your physiology is born with certain propensities to drink alcohol. I read one study that says it's murderers have an excuse because they have some sort of gene that makes them want to kill people. Whatever, I don't care if it's science or not. Yes, you were born that way. You were born into a sinful nature. Absolutely, 100%. Don't even disagree with Lady Gaga that way. She got something right. And so your mind is flawed. Your bodies are flawed. Friends, there was a fracture in creation. We were not intended to die. We were not intended to have disease. We were not... Uh, intended to be born with deformities and and all these things that happen in our world today it is the nature of sin and what it's done to our world and that is why the scripture says paul says in corinthians the earth waits and groans for what restoration can't wait my mother-in-law before she passed remember she's saying i can't wait To be gone from this body and have a new one. There is a longing to physically be restored. And there is a longing in people to have a soul restoration. Romans 1 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the, cre- the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. In other words, you've entered this world and don't you see the magnificent hand of the creator? Whether it's in, in people, whether it's in creation, in, in the, the amazing spectacle of the world. I love... You know, the websites that are showing just pictures of other places in the world that are just breathtaking. It shouts the glory of God. It says that the stones cry out, giving praise and glory to the Creator. It's right in front of you. Can you go to the next one, guys? There you go. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking. What goes first? How we think. Friends, just a pause button here. This is why it is so important about what you put into your life. If, if most of your life is, is watching material that normalizes immorality, you probably are going to begin to think that way. Now, you might feel like you're like this, you know, fortress of just, you know, nobody could, uh, you know, crack the walls of your thinking it's brainwashing. You think about media, culture, everything out there is feeding you. And whether you watch TV or movies or not, it is in everything. It says, And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling, uh, resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity. At some point, lust begins to take over. And friends, I mean powerfully in sexual immorality. If there's any sin that it seems like trying to help people move toward and following Jesus in obedience is in sexual immorality. Most couples I meet with, when left with the option, they usually say, I I had one couple, in fact, meet with me and said, Troy, we don't want to live in sin anymore. What's our options? I said, well, move out. They said, well, I can't financially afford it. I said, yeah, move out. Move out or go to the courthouse and get married. Make that covenant relationship. Make that and, 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 and rest in that. Moving people away from some of the how we justify our sexual sin. Because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and it served the creature. Listen to this. This is spooky. Worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Um, some of you have seen the Lady Gaga stuff in the videos, and I'm looking at the, the GB folk because uh, they're probably more in tune with some of culture. Her whole thing is she's trying to recreate how God, what's the most important thing, and that is the creatures are, our bodies are. Hey, what you feel? Do it. Do it. Nowhere is in this in Scripture it says they serve the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to their dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those who are contrary to their nature. And men likewise gave up their natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. And men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, let me just make a note about this because I believe there's churches out there that are pointing fingers and saying, like god created this hurricane because of their sin and all that do not believe that what i do believe is that if i were to go to cabela's this afternoon and steal a cart full of goods and try to get out of that place would there be a penalty for me yes no matter how much i love jesus right i'd say no no but i love jesus you know as i'm running to my car <laughs> with hunting gear i'm still going to what pay a price Friends, sin, we pay a price. We pay a price. Now, just for uh, clarity here, there has been some uh, scriptural gymnastics given that relations actually means just like a coffee and getting to know somebody. Friends, that's the word sexual relations, so you know. That means having sex with one another. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what? Ought not to be done. They were filled with a manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They were gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of all evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Friends, I mean, sexual immorality is one of any of these sinful rebellions that move away from God. But look what it does when a mind begins to run when we begin to respond to feeling of what we think we desire. Uh, we rerun ourselves dangerously close to losing how we think. Repentance starts in the mind. How do you think? So in the garden, there's sin and this mind, body, and soul are impacted. There is nobody that has, is sin free. It affected how we think. It affected how we act, how we feel some of the feelings that we have and the urges and the longings that we have, whether there's some physio- physiological explanation to those, maybe there's something that's been done to you, I don't know. But we've, we, we are broken in how we relate to one another and God. And this is why the beautiful picture of Christ coming. But in the Old Testament, there are going to be what's called a moral law. And so God establishes from the fall in Genesis... Uh, chapter 3, all the way to the New Testament before Jesus comes, a law to follow. There's a moral law and a ceremonial law. Ceremonial law is in order to restore a relationship with me and pay for your disobedience, cut this animal up, to sacrifice this animal. And so, this, this on, sorry, anybody who's an animal lover just hated me. But it's a way for a price to be paid for the rebellion. In that, though, what doesn't change is because we know that Jesus ends ceremonial law. We no longer sacrifice animals. Why? Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. But what continues on is moral law. In that, we find several. You guys, there are a lot of specific call-out to homosexuality. But I want to say it is always listed with a bunch of other sexually immoral acts. It says, Abomination, it's an abomination for a man to lie with another man as a woman. Death penalty is prescribed in Israel uh, for adultery, incest, bestiality. And that may seem horrific to you, but friends, just know we're moving towards a, an immoral, more of an immoral world. This is not new for Ephesus, for Corinth, for Laodicea. For many cities in the, in the New Testament, this was happening as normal. For them to have animals in the temple and to have their way is normal in some of those cities. And, and when you go down the theology and logic of I feel this way, therefore I have to justify my truth and reality based on how I'm born and my desires, then we're gonna have a bunch of darkness, aren't we? This is why Paul says, I discipline my body. I make it my slave. I cannot always do what my body wants to do. Genesis 19, there, we know that Sodom and Gomorrah. There's clearly pictures that, that says homosexuality, sexual immorality, friends, adultery. There are a lot of affairs in our church. In every church. I hear stories and stories and stories there is sex before the covenant marriage that happens in our church. And friends, that is as dark and evil and idolatry as homosexuality. So please, let's not like just put up as a big banner as Christians in the church and call out some behavior, like the person running out of the store. There is a shopping cart full of immoral things that if we were to go down the list, I think we'd all be convicted. So this old covenant is what we're describing here, but then Jesus comes and brings a new covenant. He fulfills the old one, but extends. And he does that by offering Jesus. And look what happens. By offering Jesus, as the ultimate sacrifice, what gets first restored? Relationship with God. Our souls are no longer lost. Guys, this is the power Of Christ, this means that we no longer are in this dutiful kind of experience in cathedrals and in liturgy to find ourselves having to do certain things and not do certain things to earn favor with God. We have all admitted by coming to Jesus that we can't earn God's favor, and that's why Jesus dies, and that's why he becomes the ultimate of our priorities to follow Jesus and know him more. This is the whole reason. But then we need help on how to think because our minds are still dark. He leaves what he calls the helper, ladies, the helper strength. That when we go and submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit, when we're in prayer, when we're asking God, as I open up the scriptures, Spirit, will you teach me? It says that the Spirit will teach us all things, not a professor. The Spirit begins to unveil to us how we think incorrectly about God and ourselves. And it says that our minds are being restored. Isn't that amazing? Got one guy excited about it. Yeah. And, and, and that's why you're called the gatherers as the church because it shouldn't be... I have people all the time, I'm sorry. I, I say, were you there last week? No, I'm sorry. I should be going to church more. That should never be the response. And I apologize if you feel like that for me because I'm not trying to do that to you. It is, I want to be here because I want to know more about Jesus and I want to have clarity if I'm walking out of this place with a shopping cart of stuff that I'm not realizing the darkness in my thinking, I want you to call me out. I don't want you to tackle me in the parking lot. I want you to do it with love and grace and say, you know, it seems like you've equated following Jesus with pride. I mean, think about that. We could uh, just insert any of this, and this is the beauty of being a Christ follower today with the Holy Spirit. But then it says, ultimately, God will return. He will send His Son back, and what will be restored? Our bodies, the earth, will be restored. The physiological problems will be made new. 1 Corinthians, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee then from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexual immorality, uh, or sexual immoral person sins against his own body. The reality here, friends, is this. This is a dangerous, uh, sinful activity, sex. Outside the covenant of marriage and outside the design between man and woman, It is dangerous. And this is why, again, pornography is a way to answer your own need. Romance novels, fantasizing about whatever. And it's distorting how we even relate to one another. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And this is what Paul's saying. He's saying that none of these people who are, what? deliberately practicing this and saying, I don't care. We'll not, care will not they are not Jesus followers. You can't do that. As such were some of you. I love that in verse 11. He says, just by the way, that was some of you, but you were washed and sanctified by Christ. So, it says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Um, this is this idea. We're waiting to, to be completely made new. I'm rushing here because I've got to finish up here. So let me give you um, oh, this last part first. Your identity is not defined by what you do. I do not agree with this idea of sexual identity, that I have this feeling, so this is what I am. I love AA, and I love the fact that there's a vulnerability, but when someone stands up and says that they're an alcoholic, as a Christian, I wanna say, you're a Christ follower. That's your identity. You're a follower of Jesus that struggles with alcohol. And yes, it's great to make that known. You're not defined by what you do or don't do. You're not defined by what you feel. You may feel certain things because some things have been done to you or against you or how you've grown up. Your feelings do not define you. Your identity is not defined by what has been done to you. Friends, if we were defined by what we did or didn't do or what has been done to us, man, we'd be a mess. And yet the world is trying to do that. Your identity is defined by Jesus. And your identity determines your activity. In other words, this morning, if you're saying your highest priority is to follow Jesus Christ, then you look to the highest authority and the highest authority clearly states that sexual morality is not who we are. It's not what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so we move away from it. We run from it. Last thing here as we finish, this word tolerant. The word's got a lot of buzz these days, and it's interesting because I think the word is changing, and it's become now tolerant means you accept my position as truth. Tolerance actually means willing to accept feelings, habits, or beliefs that are different from your own. Acceptance meaning we don't have to argue about it. We don't have to to debate about it. We don't have to hate one another over it. And so I think there's some room for us to have what's called legal tolerance. You obviously live in this country, but you disagree and you tolerate all the things you don't like about this country, right? You're here. You tolerate. You don't agree with it. You vote against it. There should be some theological toleration in this room, meaning most of us in this room do not believe all the same things. Yet we tolerate and we work through that, what? With some sense of peace. Some sense of respect. Scripture does talk about, though, we are not to tolerate someone who says, I'm a Christ follower, yet I'm going to live this way. The Scripture says clearly, let me hear you, if someone does not know Jesus and they come in this room and they live as dark as dark, it says we're to love them. We're to bring them in, we're to accept them, and we're to have an opportunity to share Christ with them. If someone is in our body and is running out of the store arrogantly with all the grocery goods it says do not tolerate that why cuz it scars the name of Jesus it is not how we're to live friends this morning that might be you and it's not just about homosexuality or sexual morality it can be pride it can be greed it could be gossip. It could be slander. The scriptures say, do not have any part of these kinds of people when they say they're a Christ follower and they're not following the highest authority, the scripture. How are we to do that? Paul will say this, do it with gentleness. Get around that brother or sister and say, hey, listen, can we talk? And friends, I would hope this morning that you would do that to me I am so far from perfect. Ask my wife and four daughters. They'll tell you. I would hope the moment I begin to believe that my behavior, immoral behavior, is okay. And that that is what is associated, what means following Jesus. That someone would come alongside of me, and some have. Hey, can can I help you out? Can I talk to you about something? This is not what Jesus called us to live like that. Really, ultimately, this morning, our call is to surrender our lives to Jesus. That's why we gather. That's why we talk about this great book left to us, the Bible. That's, and we, we look to it this morning. He calls us away from any sexual immorality, friends. Men, some of you need to step up and become masculine and confess your sin of pornography, of lust, of adultery. I'm not calling you out and saying you're terrible people. I'm saying stop living different than Jesus called you to live. Women, some of you are having, you're you're having affairs. You're gone. You're not in the marriage. Some of you single are a part of things that you shouldn't be a part of. And again, this is not calling you out or judging you. We're, We're saying we want to live like Jesus. We need to do that. We need to look to that. And one another, we need to have this as a safe place to go, you know what? I'm struggling. There are people I know that have desires both sexually and maybe homosexuality, transgender, and are honest believers trying to reconcile the feeling. I don't know why they have the feeling. Call it sin, call it physiology, call it whatever you want. It doesn't matter to me. Scripture says don't act on it. The scripture says don't lust and fantasize about it. How are we doing that as a church this morning? It's the call right back to the table. Our identity is in Jesus. Father in heaven, this morning as we really are asking that you change our minds, help us repent of how we thought wrongly about you, about our our morality and immorality, God, will you help this church, community church, become such a safe place that are trying to follow Jesus. And yet, Father, a place that will gently and lovingly call others to continue to live like Him when we're living wrongly. God, I pray that. I pray as we go to the cross this morning, we might see the bread in the cup and see a God that gently called us back to Himself, that walked out of that grocery store and said, friend, brother, sister, daughter, son, This is not how I've intended you to live. God, would we see that this morning? In Jesus' name, amen.